You are listening to Legion of Substitute Podcasters, episode 307, How to Reboot the Legion. So 307 of Legion of Substitute Podcasters. I'm Paul French, and tonight I am solo lad. That's right, it's just me on my own, left to my own devices, uh, because uh, everyone else is either long weekending. Well, I suppose I'm technically long weekending. I mean, it's one way to look at it. Uh, but uh, yeah, everyone else is, uh, you know, well, you know, I think Matt's long weekending, and uh, Darren and Scott are both, are both uh, recuperating from conventions. Uh, Darren, of course, uh, was at Dragon Con this weekend, and in a weird shift of uh, the time-space continuum, um, Fan Expo was running the same weekend, and Scott was at that one, and I know he was heading out uh, um, rather late as well. So uh, so what we decided to do is um, kind of run a little best-of bit. But, uh, but I decided, you know, let's do it thematically. And uh, so, you know, we talk a lot about the rebooting of the Legion. And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to um, play for you some uh, interviews that we did w- way back um, with three guys who have actually been involved in rebooting the Legion. Uh, the first one you're going to hear is Chris Sprouse, and he'll talk a little bit about redesigning the Legion costumes. And uh, then we'll get into a discussion with Barry Kitson as he talks about his experiences with the three boot. And then because no discussion of the three boot is complete without including Mark Wade, we also have an interview with Mark Wade uh, talking about exactly that as well as all kinds of other stuff. That's the that's the thing is is while we will you know get to these topics in the interviews you also get to hear a lot of other stuff about what they've been doing and why and all that kind of stuff so uh, most of these go back a few years i believe um the barry kitson interview is like episode 87 and i think chris Sprouse is even before that so uh so this is kind of also a trip in the way back machine for everyone as well and uh you can you can hear how we uh how we used to do an interview uh so matt will be talking to um uh, to Chris Sprouse, and then you'll have Scott and I uh, talking to uh, Barry Kitson, and it's kind of neat. I had to stop and start a few times with that one because um, every time we shut off the recorder and uh, we're saying thank you, he's like, oh, I just remembered one more thing, so we would start again. And um, in addition to that, uh, the the Mark Wade interview was actually all of us, and that was from episode 102. So, uh check it out. Here we go. I'll be back at the end of it to, uh, to wrap things up. Hi, this is Matt, and I'm here at Challengers Comics in Chicago with Chris Sprouse. Hi, Chris. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. And uh, I'd like to start out talking a little bit about the Legion with you. Hard to believe it's been 18 years ago, you said? Yeah. Wow. And uh, some of your first prof- professional work was with the Legion, was yes. it? Um, I believe... It was my second job, maybe third job ever for DC, was uh, Chemical King origin story for Secret Origins 42, I believe. Wow. I still know some of the details, but not all. <laughs> um, I think it was like a 13-page story or something. Yeah, in the, in the yeah. Dead Legionnaires issue. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. And were you a Legion fan growing yes. up? Um, my first Legion was the Mike Grell Legion. Wow. And, um, 
I don't remember the issue number, but I remember the cover was um, sort of a down shot looking at one of the space cruisers and a giant brown lizard creature trying to eat it. And I don't remember what, or that, that's my impression now from not having seen it in several years. That was what was on the cover, but it was one of those right in the middle of the grill run. And uh, I followed it off and on, but what re really caught me was when I was really getting into comics, it was the, the Giffen years. Mm. And uh, I jumped on board that and read that religiously and uh, followed it until I got into the, got into comics professionally and started drawing the book. And uh, what were some of your favorite characters? If um, probably, I have a feeling these people were a lot of people's favorites, but since I got into the Mike Grell years and the Keith Kitten stuff, they did a lot of stories of Wildfire and Dawnstar, mm -hmm. and those are always my favorites. Uh, I also like Brainiac. Oh, yeah. um, but when I drew the book, those were not... Well, I didn't get to draw <laughs> Wildfire, but um, the three originals ended up being my favorite when I drew the book. They were always the most fun, and I, I related most to them somehow. You know, I was mm -hmm. able to comfortably draw them better than the other characters. I don't know why that was. Because hmm. I didn't have much feeling for them when I read them. <laughs> yeah. I Growing up, I never had much feeling for the three original ones either, yeah. but lately Cosmic Boy has just got to be one of my favorites, and can't really explain why, but it's just happened. Yeah, I did like, I remember, yeah, Giffen did a solo, Giffen Levitz, I should say, I should give him all the credit, <laughs> but uh, they did that solo Cosmic mm. Boy series, or uh, issue, like, mm -hmm. place on their planet, it was sports related stuff with the, uh, Cosmic Boy and his brother, I believe, but yep. I, that stuck out, but um, even then, I, I was still into uh, Wildfire back then. <laughs> And what were some of your favorite stories? To read or draw? Uh, either or. Oh, to, to both. Read. Both. <laughs> um, I liked the stuff immediately after the Great Darkness Saga. I liked the Great Darkness Saga because I was a, always a New Gods fan. But I thought the stories right after that were, were a lot of fun and really good. And, and the Legion was just firing on all cylinders. And mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun to be into it then. And it seemed like... You know, I don't know what it was, but Keith was doing some really nice stuff with the, the backgrounds and the, the technology of the Legion that I liked quite a bit. Right. Uh, to draw, I would say probably the first two issues were, were my favorite to work on, of Legionnaires. And uh, I, I did quite like, uh, we did, uh, I don't know, about eight pages in the back of Legion of Supers 51 that introduced the Legionnaires, mm -hmm. and that I remember enjoying quite a bit. That was the first time... Uh, Carl Story inked me, and that was cool because I mean he's an amazing inker, and it's the first time I saw his inks on my work. Was right. He's been with you for a while. Yeah, and uh, that's that was a highlight of my career, one of the highlights of my career. And uh, speaking of the Legionnaires, one of the, your lasting, uh, one of your legacies in the book is the costumes and the designs and the characters. And were the were the new costumes your idea, or how much input did you have in them? Um, we we actually met in New York, and they assigned. It was at a time when Jason Pearson was also drawing the mm -hmm. book, and I think it was right before Stuart Eminent started drawing it. So it was the end of Jason's run. He was doing the regular book, and I was getting ready to draw Legionnaires. And they said, "Go home and design some costumes." Jason, you design some characters and do something different. So I went home, and it was like the only thing I'd think to do was um, one of the problems with the Legion. And one of the problems a lot of people had was they couldn't tell they were a team. And I just racked my brains trying to think of ways to make them a team, and I just thought of something simple. Maybe they could keep their individuality, but it was like, okay, belt buckle. You know, just everybody, <laughs> they have their fight ring, but nobody can see that right. in a tiny little panel. Maybe the belt buckle. And 
Um, and sometime after that, the stripe, the stripe theme, where everybody had a more or less uniform look to them because there was one solid color stripe and then the down the middle of the costume and then something on the outside. And I tried to give everybody their own unique colors so you could tell them apart from in from behind, from the side, any angle. It was easy to get a grip on who was who and in a you know a huge group scene you didn't have to play Where's Waldo, you could right, pick out right. people by their colors and stuff. So that yeah, that that was my idea, but it was based on like a mandate to come up with something <laughs> different that we hadn't seen in the Legion yet. And my thing with that was uniformity. Like the Legion was so varied. You had crazy you know, the crazy sexy Mike Grell costumes and then you had Superboy. You know, just <laughs> right, like, this weird right. mishmash of costumes. And my goal was to just make it look like a team. <laughs> And was it your idea to put the tooth on Mad Reader Wad's costume? I don't think so. I, that sounds like a Michael Urie thing, but it could also have been uh, Tom and Mary Beerbaum. And I say mm -hmm. that because they were very whimsical, yes. Michael Urie especially. <laughs> they will. And, uh, Mad Reader Wad. I think with Mad Reader Wad, I probably just gave him a green and black costume. You know, so, sort of the way Brainiac mm -hmm. just had no symbols or anything. Just And uh, they suggested the tooth, and it was it sounded goofy, but it worked. And, and one of the other things I really liked was that uh, probably something that hadn't been done since before Mike Grell came on the book is that the kids were actually drawn to look like kids. I tried. I actually, you know, looking back it looks weird, but at the time, you know, I remember that being a big deal for people. Like, I remember hearing a lot of people saying that. I got just as many people saying they looked too young, but it's like I, I'd always do a lot of research, and one of the things I did was I just gathered up boatloads of pictures of you know, teens and early 20s, you know, people to, to have all around me while I was working, so I didn't get somebody's head too big or something. Right. And I, I, I failed quite a bit, but that was what I was going for, so I'm, I'm glad you think it worked. I hope other people do. I'm sure they did. But uh, the first time I became aware of your work was that Batman Annual. <laughs> I'm sure you hear, that, hear about that a lot. I was just talking about it <laughs> 10 minutes ago. Uh, that will that's one of the few comics that I can actually remember where I was when I bought it and I just read it over and over and over again. That was right around the wow. time I first started reading Batman after the movie had come out. I picked it up around issue, I think, like 450 or something. And then I picked up that annual just one afternoon as we were going to the state fair. <laughs> and I just read it in the car over and over again. And the sequences that have really stuck with me over the years were the other ones where he's flipping the coin and it's going from panel to panel. Yeah. And I just had never seen anything like that before. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up. That, that was basically, it's like the, I'm pretty sure that was scripted, but that's one of those things when I, when I get a script, I see images in my head. And that's one of the, the images that I liked most about that book was that image of that coin flipping. So I'm, thanks. That makes <laughs> no me feel good that I, I, I was able to get what I saw and what appealed to me out of the script. And I was able to translate that, get that out on the page. That's a, that's a weird one for me. I did that immediately after that Legion story we were hmm. just talking about. And, um, I feel like I was still too new to do it justice so I, I have mixed feelings about that story I know it was the best I could do at the time but I just look at it and go man I could do that so much better now <laughs> but um, it's interesting a lot of people I've signed so many of those that, that connected with a lot of people I'm surprised yeah and, and back then I didn't had no idea it was set during or right after year one or any of that because that was really yeah. about the first Batman I consistently read since getting some of my uncle's Me old too. books yeah. and that was 
60s stuff, which is definitely not that Batman. And that wasn't the Batman. I, I only knew Batman from the TV show. Mm. We were Marvel and DC snobs, as in my brother and I only collected <laughs> Marvel stuff, with the exception of sci-fi comics. Mm. He got like, oh, I think there's something called Star Hunters, and he got a few science fiction stuff, that, titles that DC put out, and he got Warlord. Oh, yeah. And uh, I collected the Legion. And um, if they ever did Star Trek books or anything, any adaptations, I got those. But that was we didn't collect DC superhero books for the most part. Um, even though, yeah, I know, you know, Legion of Superheroes is a superhero, but for me, it was science fiction. Yeah. That was a draw space. for me. Yeah, all sorts of weird aliens. But um, yeah, we never read, um, never read Batman because the comics just, you know, we were, I guess we were poisoned by the TV show. We had grown up watching the TV show, and Batman just seemed stupid. I hate to say it, but that was my introduction to Batman. And when you're a little kid, right, you're right. Not, you're yeah, not smart enough to know that this is just a three-year period of Batman's history or yeah, something. Cool. It doesn't mean the comics are like this. Yeah, until the movie. I mean, that's pretty much the impression I had yeah. sitting there after school watching reruns. Yeah. Like, oh, then the movie definitely changed my impressions yeah. of it. Yeah, a lot of that, that was, I guess that was like what a lot of people describe the Neil Adams Batman years for them. Must that sentence must have been like that for me at least the, the same way it was for the people who mm -hmm. encountered the, the Neil Adams Batman stuff where it was like wow that's Batman done right for a change it was that in the cartoon the animated series oh, yeah. I think it's Batman done absolutely right for the most part um, a lot of times he was still you know kind of superhero and light and stuff but I like the dark like I was talking about this earlier the, the opening scene in the first Batman movie where the criminals are mm -hmm. Running around on rooftops, and they can barely—you can barely see Batman for most of it. And he's just a shadowy, dark figure. I—I I thought that was perfect for the character. And uh, over your career, you had the opportunity to work with a lot of great writers, like Denny O'Neill and now Grant Morrison. And but I'm sure the biggest question that people ask you is, "What was it like working with Alan Moore?" That is—that <laughs> is the question I'm asked most often. And you know, I can't can't lie to you. It was definitely the highlight of my career so far. Mm -hmm. That was so much fun. And he tailored the ABC books to the artists. You know, you're mm -hmm. never going to get rid of that sort of creating your own book. I mean, to have someone like Alan write a book that you know he's written with you in mind, and I'm not talking about egotistically. Mm -hmm. It was just it was a perfect match. Mm -hmm. Everything he wrote, from just briefly talking to me a few times, wow. was kind of everything I ever wanted to draw. <laughs> it was there in the scripts, and yeah. it was just a joy to work on. I couldn't think of anyone other than you drawing Millennium City. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you. Because I mean, sure, it's it's your, I mean, it's your detail and design sense, and it's just very cool. I know it's for me. It's like it's hard for me because I can't. I thought it would be fun at first having other people draw Tom Strong, but sometimes it's painful. Like, not that they did a bad job. It's, it's just, your baby. It's, no, it's it's. I wish I could have drawn that. Right, right. It's, it's again, like I thought they got great artists to work on issues that I didn't do, but it was always frustrating for me because I wish I could have done it. So it was, it was hard. I felt that connection with the characters. I really wish I could have done that story or that scene or something. Hmm. And uh, what's your process for breaking down a script? Now, you were talking about that you could have drawn the drawn other scenes. Um, usually I, I, read, I sit down one day with a script. I read through it, and I usually get images immediately. And uh, my memory's not so bad that I can't remember them. I read the whole script. I get out my layout paper, and I start chronologically from page one, just doing rough thumbnails, breaking down the scene. Sometimes when I'm reading the script, I will go in and draw on the, the edge of the page or something like that. But um, I just start with that. I just respond to the script, um, start trying to get down on the page what's in my head. 
as far as panel layouts and position of people go, I do it really loosely and quickly, and then I go straight to uh, relatively loose layouts compared to my pencils, but they're still pretty tight. Everything's there, and I, I take that, put it on Lightbox, and trace it from there, and that's the final page. Traced on Bristol board over the layouts based on the thumbnails. Very cool. And um, are there any other writers out there nowadays that you'd like to work with? Um, anybody, <laughs> you know, as long as it's a good story. Um, I, I've been really lucky to work with really great writers. I've never, you know, I don't have this feeling like, oh, I can only work with this guy or that guy. I've had some, um, you know, they don't have to all be British, too. That's something else somebody <laughs> asked me, you know. The, why am I always working with these English guys? And it's like, I don't know. You know, it's it's great, though. They write good <laughs> stories. Um, but I've also worked with a lot of American guys recently that I really liked. I loved mm -hmm. working on Number of the Beast with Scott Beatty. That was so much fun. Mm. And, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of... Uh, well, Garth Ennis is uh, Irishman, I guess. <laughs> that was Midnight right before that. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I've, I've, I can't think of a writer who's where I've done a story where I've actually just not liked the writer or the writing. I've been hmm. very fortunate. I don't think I've ever drawn anything that I'd consider was a turkey story. <laughs> well, um, right now you've got the Batman, the Return of Bruce Wayne, and, and we know Batman is now stuck in different eras. And if you had to be stuck in any era, what would you like to be stuck in? <laughs> this is bizarre. You know, my wife and I are nerds enough that this is the kind of thing we talk about. And um, frankly, I am... The future, basically, wow. like right now or the future. Like I, I don't want to go live in the past. There's no period that I was really into, and I, I just enjoy my modern conveniences too much. My showers and my air conditioning and stuff yeah. like that. So, I am drawn to, uh, like I think, as far as work goes, not me personally, but I, I have found myself becoming more fascinated with sort of Western mm. stuff because I've been offered jobs drawing this kind of stuff, and it's stuff I never thought I would do, but I enjoy drawing that. Um, I, I think I, I wouldn't have minded so much, you know, anywhere from the 1930s on, I think I would have felt comfortable with I, I, I like I like today. You know, <laughs> I like living here now, and uh, but I am curious. I, I would love to, you know, as everybody would, have a flying car and all that stupid <laughs> Jetson stuff. But, Your uh, own flight ring. Yeah, I mean, just just seeing how much technology has, technology has changed since I got into comics, I, can, I would love to find out what it's going to be 50 years from now. Right, right. I'm still around for that, but... Um, so I'd be more looking ahead than looking back to the time period I would, I would like to live in. Very cool. And you also have a new uh, Tom Strong series coming yes. out with uh, Peter Hogan. Yes. And what's it like working on Tom Strong without Alan Moore? Um, strangely, this series, the script for the series just feels so much like Tom Strong should that I won't say I don't miss Alan. I loved working on his scripts, but it feels right. It feels like Tom Strong, so it's perfect. It, it just feels very comfortable and I'm right. very at home doing it. It, it was, there was no big adjustment getting back right. into it. It was actually tons of fun because I'd just gone from working really hard on Number of the Beast and almost killing mm -hmm. myself on that to, figuratively by the way, just no, <laughs> no other story there, but to, um, to working on something that was an absolute blast and easy. You know, Tom Strong for me, I don't have to look up reference for any right. characters. I, I know exactly what they're going to look like, exactly what they're going to do. And um, just feel perfectly at home drawing them. So it's just completely pleasant drawing that book. Very cool. And do you have anything else coming up after that that you can talk about at all? Hopefully. I hope I'm not giving too much away, but um, they have approved another Tom Strong miniseries. Mm, very cool. I'm assuming with the 
in parentheses, <laughs> if this one does well, we'll see another Tom Strong miniseries. Very cool. Uh, the script is underway. And um, there was talk of me recently doing some Superman stuff, but I don't know if that's going to happen. That's That, that gets mm. brought up every couple of years, maybe. Um, <laughs> and there's talk of me doing something with Jeff Johns that was mm. more creator-owned. We'll oh, see cool. if that happens, but the only thing I know for sure is more Tom Strong. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And, oh, thank you for taking the time out to talk to me. You're welcome. And uh, enjoy Chicago. Thank you. I am. Okay, and there's Matt from episode 84 back in May of 2010 uh, talking to Chris Sprouse uh, about his thoughts on the reboot. And now here's Scott and I from just a little bit later, about, well, about less, just less than a month. So it would have been June of uh, 2010 uh, talking to Barry Kitson. All right, so this is Paul and Scott, and we're here with Barry Kitson. How are you today, Barry? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Enjoying my time in Canada. Perfect, perfect. So is this your first time here? Yes, it is, yeah. There we go. We caught him on his first trip. There we go. Oh, my. (laughs) So, Barry, you've got a a long history with the Legion when uh, when you look at it. Uh, Were you aware of them before you started, before you drew your first Legion story? Oh, yeah. I'm at um, my two favorite DC series from when I was a kid was, was Legion and Doom Patrol. So uh, <laughs> you just you just you just made Scott so happy. <laughs> my, my pleasure. Well, they, they were the best too. Fantastic. <laughs> Your first Legion book was the annual, and then of course you did Legion for a number of years. Yeah. Uh, what can you tell us about that experience? Oh, was, yeah, I mean, probably as good an experience as you can get in comics. Um, I mean, the great thing with with Legion Legion was um, that. Uh, you know, it was a standalone series, but it had a really great following as far as the readers go. And it, you know, I felt like I virtually knew everybody reading the book. Um, but because it was standalone, I had so much freedom to do, or we had so much freedom to do whatever we wanted, you know. Um, yeah, it was just great. I, I can't, can't say one negative thing about the whole experience, really. Yeah, yeah. It was just amazing. Um, getting the first Legion Annual to do was... Uh, Probably should have been more daunting than I real than it than it was for me. I mean, I, I just thought, oh great, you know, I'm getting to draw these characters that I always loved. Um, I had no idea at the time that Paul Levitz was actually editor in chief of DC at the time. When I got the script, you know, I just rang him up and just said, oh hi Paul, I'm Barry, I'm going to be drawing you. So, and then when I told other people at DC that I and Paul was great, you know, he was really nice, but. Um, when I told other people I'd done that, they were like, you don't ring Paul. Uh, but uh, no, he was great. Uh, it was um, when I sent my first pages in, because I hadn't been drawing for very long then mm-hmm. either. Uh, Dick Giordano was, um, he was editor-in-chief or publisher. Um, Dick sent me a few little drawings back saying, you might like to have drawn this like this, and you might like to have tried that. So, you know, that, that was a great help. And mm-hmm. just, really positive. I mean, I, I look back on the pages now and I squirm, uh, uh-huh. but, uh, you know, at the time it's just That's amazing. Though, isn't well, it? I guess, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, you, you went on to, to rejoin the Legion with, with Mark Wade. Can you tell us about that? Um, yeah, I mean, basically, um, Mark asked me if I'd be interested in doing it, and we were told at the time that, you know, our Legion would be the Legion. Right. Um, and so we could uh, structure it however we wanted. And we had this grand scheme of how 
you know, everything was going to make sense and it was all going to work together. Uh, but, you know, within a few months of... Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, basically, we had... We had um, I remember it was three or four years worth of stories worked out that where, you know, the whole... Uh, there was lots of stuff we dropped in early on that the Legion was actually inspired by the comics from... You know, which we never really got to do because kind of halfway through... We got Supergirl, which we were told was going to be, you know, she's your character, you do with her what, and then they did the series when, you know, suddenly there were two Supergirls and things just, yeah, yeah, uh, and in the end it was just getting completely, uh, you know, impossible to do what we'd originally intended to do, and so we were having to try and rethink everything on the hop. Uh, well, I don't even think it was, ed it wasn't even editorial really, it was higher than that, it was like company... It was like, right. <laughs> well, it was it was like you know not, the the um, the original premise was going to be there would be no legion other than our legion, but within a couple of months, you know, they were characters were popping up all over the place, and you know, say we just had to keep rethinking on the hop, which was yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean that. I mean, it was, it was still great fun to work on. I mean, I loved it. And redesigning the characters and everything was brilliant. But That's what I was just going to ask about, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was superb. I really enjoyed it. Um, the frustration was not quite being able to do what we intended to do, um, which was why, sort of, ultimately we, we left, because it was just becoming more and more obvious that the journey we'd started on wasn't going to be the one we were going to end. Um, so, but I'm, I'm nothing but positive from it. Um, I loved interacting with all the, the uh, readers um, on the, the web and stuff, and everybody's really positive. Um, Up until now, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, until I met you, yeah. Yeah, uh, easy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's incredible. And, and if the opportunity came to, to, to go back to them someday, you know, I'd, I would love to. Um, I kind of... Yes. Well, well, thank you. Well, but, well, uh, but you know, I kind of when when we did move on, I kind of you know, I, I decided we would you know I would anyway take a low profile as far as the web and everything goes because the last thing you know the new guys working on it want is uh, you know yeah the ghost from Christmas past sort of sitting around going. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I still you know, I still follow the book. And, yeah, uh, try and encourage the guys who are on it now, personally, as whenever I can. Have you read Rebels? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I say I say yes. I started following it, but I, I haven't been keeping up with my reading. So, um, yeah, I, mean, I read the first couple of issues. I thought they looked really great. Um, I, they're one of the stacks I have at home mm -hmm. that you know I need to work through, um, but haven't done yet. It's nice to see Real Docs is in good hands. Yeah, I mean, I went. I'm, you know, I won't. You know, I won't say I wasn't scared when I heard they were bringing them back right. because you know it's like, yeah, because they're like you know my babies. Instead. Yeah. Um, but I mean, certainly, uh, the, I think I read the first. I think it was like the first six issues, um, and I was thoroughly enjoying it. You know, I thought the artwork was great. Um, yeah. Now, of yeah. course, we know you mostly for the art on Legion, but you also wrote the book for a while. Was that the first book that you wrote? Um, I, I'd written stuff um, in England, uh -huh. but it, uh, it was the first um, U.S. stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. um, I've always kind of worked with whichever artist I'm working with. Um, 
with story input, uh, which is why, you know, if you ever look at anything Mark and I have ever done, it always says storytellers. Mark about it. it doesn't split the stuff up. And I generally do that with every writer I work with. Um, I, I ended up doing the whole thing on Legion just because Alan was moving on. Right. And we started looking around for somebody else to write it. And the editor and Alan and Keith all just said, well, why don't you do it? You've been putting enough into it. Um, so, so I did. And, and, you know, I quite enjoyed it, but I, I do like working with somebody else, which is why Mark came on originally as dialogue. Um, I was doing the plot and he was dialogue. And, you know, we got on fine. And so then we started just doing the whole batting backwards and forth thing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, and that's a lot of the fun for me when I, I do stuff. I'm, I'm quite happy working with a full script, but it's not quite the same as, you know, being able to, to work stuff out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, with Mark, the way it would usually work was Mark would come up with the initial plot, and then I'd throw ideas in, and then because Mark uh, is the kind of guy he is, which is you know the fun thing about him, he would yeah. think, mm, uh, yeah, well, okay, well, Barry's idea was better than mine. I'll come up with a third idea, which is better than, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So. Uh, now, earlier you mentioned that it was a pleasure to design the new costumes of the Legion. Uh, what was your mindset in designing those? Uh, well, I wanted, basically, uh, there, was, there were two. I wanted to make the costumes look uh, more contemporary or more futuristic, but I also wanted to do as much kind of honor as I could to the past Legion. Right. So I was, there were, there were only one or two that I really felt like I kind of just threw away the original ones. I'm Starboy, uh, which is one I was really pleased with, but that one, I, you know, I didn't do that one. I felt that was kind of pretty far removed from anything anybody had done before. Um, but most of them, like, I, I tried to take elements of the Dave Cochran costumes in particular. Yeah. Uh, oh, Phantom Girl had them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, you need to pay more attention, so I'm a young man. <laughs> well, I, know, I know you're uh, very busy, Barry, so thank you very much. For oh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Thank yes. you. Now, Barry's lineup was actually quite busy, and uh, there was a guy named Larry, and we do need to thank Larry for letting us uh, do the interview while he was getting books signed and a sketch done, and it was very cool of him. And so... This, uh, as Barry said, this interview comes to us courtesy of Larry. But while we were waiting in line to get our book signed, because we, Scott and I each had a book to get signed, uh, we found that he had more to say. And uh, the first thing he had to say was a little something about Brainiac 5 and Supergirl. Valerie, I hope you're listening. And we're back because mainly because we don't want Valerie to flay us alive, so we want to make sure that we get uh, some talk about Brainiac 5 and Supergirl. I was going to say it was in Mark and I's original big plan. Um, because at the time we started doing Legion, we were told that there was going to be no more time travel in the DTU. Um, I think they're over that now. Yeah, I know, exactly. Yeah, but, but at the time we were doing it. And so when Supergirl came into Legion, we were, Brainiac was going to be trying to take us back. But what we were going to do was say that you could go forward in time, but you could never go back. So every time he tried to take it back, where he ended up, 
was another reality with one of the former versions of the legions. And so they could come forward to ours, but nobody could ever go back. So it was like, you know, every story we told could be a story, because we did have Dawnstar in our series as well, but I had to draw her out because they then put her in something else. But so, so we had this grand plan where we could utilize other stories and we could say that there were no imaginary Legion stories. They all happened because, because of Brainiac trying to get Supergirl back where she came from. But that, that was just part of the master plan that we couldn't do. That it's is the sound of worshippers crying. Right <laughs> no time travel. It's just crazy and something no Legion fan ever wants to hear. Now, that, that wasn't the last thing that Barry had to say. He also had this to say about the Three Boot Legion's headquarters and why it looked the way it was and why all those kids were standing outside. The whole thing with the Legion HQ in that and the look of it and everything, it was actually a prison. And... What, what had happened was uh, Cosmic Voice, Satin Girl, and Lightning Lad had originally come to Earth, which didn't have individuals, as you know, because society was really uniform and standard. And when they'd come to Earth, they, um, trying to cut this fairly short, had an adventure in which they saved people, but for which they were thrown in to the prison. And then the whole reason for all the kids being outside was they all sort of uh, basically protesting around the prison. Right. And so all, you know, all the kids from on earth were just saying, you know, we're going to go there. We're going to be part of this. That's why it was, that's what, that was why the whole thing was like, everybody is a legionnaire. Everybody who comes here is a legionnaire because, you know, they came there and basically the legion then took over the prison and that became their headquarters. And that, that was another story that, you know, we never ever got to tell. There are a couple of conversations. I think um, I think Microlad and another character have a conversation in which it's touched upon. Um, but you know that was another story that was all part of the big thing that we never got to tell. I'll probably think about a dozen other things you know, as, as we go along. Uh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> so we thank Barry Kitson for taking the time to sit down and have an interview with us, and we also thank Chad and Nikki who were at his table, uh, who basically we're having the conversation with us that spurred uh, Barry on to uh, to get into these other conversations about some of the things that we hadn't talked about in the interview. So thanks to all of them and now back to your show already in progress. All right. Okay, so there you go. So we had Barry Kitson filling in a whole lot of the mysteries of the Three Boot Legion and what was going on there. So who could help us dig a little bit deeper into those mysteries? Eh, how about the guy who wrote it? That's right, so now we have Mark Wade, and he's going to take us through a whole lot about Legion history, some of his favorite uh, uh, Legion stories, etc. But uh, then he will get into Three Boot. And so, here we go. And joining us on the phone, we have longtime Legion fan and Legion writer, editor. Is there anything about the Legion you haven't done, Mark? No, uh, there's nothing, nothing about it. No, I've carved little statues. I've done everything, yeah. <laughs> we are joined and very, very honored to be joined by Mark Wade. How are you hey, today, Mark? how are you doing this afternoon? We're doing great. Oh, it's still afternoon there. Hey. <laughs> so, um, so, Mark, you, you are, you've been a, a fan of the Legion for a long, long time. Um, yeah, yeah. How, wh where, where did you start with the Legion? What was the first Legion book that you read? 
my very first Legion story was actually the second part of the Fatal Five story. It was the death of Feralad, the very first Legion story I ever read, and it blew my mind even at age five because I had, I had you know read a few DC comics before then, and I sort of had a sense of of, of superheroes, and I even at that early age I sort of knew that characters weren't supposed to die and never come back. It was a very somber moment. Mm-hmm. Um, in my in my formative youth of seeing that little rocket ship go off into space and land on Shanghala and uh and and with the remains of feral lad so that was uh that was a that was a bit of a shock absolutely no doubt. and and we wow. have it right there folks mark wade says it's shanghala it is shanghala Thank you. Exactly. So, <laughs> so that's it. And that just, and I never stopped ever since. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been buying, and Legion was always such a huge favorite of mine growing up and, and uh, always has been. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now, so, so you went from there and then you, you got, you got right into, uh, into Legion fandom at the time. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Well, actually it was, it took me a little bit to get into Legion fandom, but not a whole long time. What happened was in, in, I guess, 1970 or so, uh, the editor of the Legion at that time, Murray Boltonoff, had started running letters from other Legion fans in the Superboy letter column where, the, where Superboy was appearing, where the Legion was appearing. And he put in um, contact information from Mike Flynn, who was the editor of the Legion Outpost, which was one of the mm-hmm. le- earliest Legion fanzines. And through, you know, through that, I got a hold of Mike and I got a couple, a couple of copies of Legion Outpost. And th- then in turn, Actually, I guess it would have been about 1972, actually, by that time. So it was about 10. Um, by that time, I got a couple, a couple of copies of Legion Outpost. In there, there were want ads and, and for sale ads for back issues. And I, I delved even further into, into Legion fandom and helped flesh out my early adventure comics collection. Uh-huh. And uh, then as coincidence would have it, uh, years later, I had sort of fallen out of Legion fandom, although I was still a you know, fan of the Legion, but I hadn't really participated in in Legion fandom. And then about 1978 or so, I was down the street. I was living in, in or outside of Richmond, Virginia at the time. I was down the street with my friend Danny and his family. Uh, I don't even remember their last names, but uh, would hang out there all the time. And as I'm flipping through old magazines of theirs, so just sitting there on the kitchen table or coffee table or whatever, I saw Mike Flynn's name on one of them and the address label in New York. And I was I was completely gobsmacked by this. I didn't understand what is your, how do you know this Mike Flynn guy? <laughs> and they said, Oh, he's our cousin. He's our cousin. Oh, and he's God. coming through to visit in another, in a week or so. Oh, that's right. He likes comics too, or he's into, com-. at that time, Mike was actually working at DC comics and as the publicity mm. guy. And uh, so, you know, Flynn came into town about a week later. I met him face to face for the first time. And, you know, during that time, he sort of gave me information on other Legion fans and other contacts and other people to be involved with. And, uh, you know, that really got me very deeply involved in Legion fandom. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's crazy coincidences. It's what it, it really what an incredibly tiny world that you know, Seriously. people who. Right. Yeah, not again. Okay. I don't I don't remember their last name, but it wasn't Flynn. It was just, a, you know, it was just a random cousin. So, right. Yeah. right. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so uh so from from there from there how how do you get to uh to first getting your start writing comics well let's see there's a you, you back up a little bit i mean from there i and i i got deeper involved in legion fandom through uh this appa called interlac which i guess you guys you guys have heard of yes <laughs> but for the listeners let me lay out what an appa is back in the 
I'm, frankly, I'm kind of surprised they still exist in, in the 21st century. And I'm sure they're probably not long for this world. But they're essentially, they're like, <laughs> they're like, uh, they're like internet mailing lists, except on paper. Uh, <laughs> the way in, the way an APA worked or amateur press alliance worked was that you'd have say 50 or 60 guys uh, involved all fans of say Legion or the Avengers or something like that. Then Legion is the one we're going to use as an example. And they had an, an, an app called Interlac. And so for the 50 or 60 people who were in it, uh, what your obligation was every two months or so, you would put together a little four or eight page write up sort of amateur fanzine of yours on eight and a half by 11 paper, you know, and make enough copies for everybody else in the group send them into a central mailer. Everybody sent them in by deadline to a central mailer who would then recollate them and make sure that, you know, there was one copy of everybody's in it and then send them back off in, in these big massive mailings. So every couple of months, you know, you put together 60 copies of your little newsletter about Legion or your, you know, what's going on with you or what's going on. You know, what, what is your take on Legion fandom or what's been going on in the books or whatever, you know, you make 50, 60 copies, you send it off, and then a couple of weeks later, you'd get back this massive thick envelope with, with everybody else's contributions in it as well. And, you know, contact information and, you know, mailing addresses and phone numbers, and you'd be swapping information back and forth. And, and that was, you know, that's, that was and still is, as far as I know, the, the real heart of Legion fandom. Mm-hmm. So I was involved in that. Uh, and from there... Uh, I got lucky enough to sell Julie Schwartz a couple of Superman stories late in his tenure as the Superman editor. This had been 1984. Uh, and from there, you know, still kind of hung around the periphery of fandom, uh, got on staff at DC in 1987 for a couple of years as an editor at, during the time, during which time I edited Legion and edited a, bu- edited a bunch of sort of Legion's, you know, side projects like who's who, but we can get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then after that, I you know left staff and uh, and everything is you know hopefully this freelance comics gig will work out for me. I let <laughs> fingers crossed. You'll get there someday, Mark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, when you started uh, when you started at DC on staff, uh, you you were editing. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, but Secret Origins was one of the books you were editing, right? And uh, and then you, you were you were editing the Legion book at a very interesting time in that in that book's uh, space. It was right after. Yeah, it was. Well, you know, backing up a little bit, the first thing that I got handed walking in the door was who's who in the Legion of superheroes because that was I mean, where Barbara Kiesel, then Barbara Randall, was editing, and or I think Karen Berger was editing it, and then and Barbara was writing it, uh, and. The idea was, well, let's give it to Mark because Karen has been the Legion editor for a long time, and Mark knows all the minutia, which is true. Actually, <laughs> you know, let's back up because here's another piece of the puzzle that we've that we've left out, which is before, just before I went on staff at DC, or about a year before I went on staff at DC. One of my pet projects was at the time Eclipse Comics, which is a smaller publisher in California. They were doing these official indexes as 32-page comics. They were right. the official index to the Justice League, yeah. the official index to Crisis, or and I did a few of those. Uh, but one of the but the one that I was happiest with was the official index of the Legion of Superheroes, where I sat down and literally did the, the official index to every Legion story with all the cross references and all the character appearances and and all the detail and minutia. And what that involved was. In retrospect, like summer of 85, maybe summer of 86, mm-hmm. 
the happiest month of my life. It was literally the happiest <laughs> month of my life. I would get up every morning at the crack of dawn. I would sit in my off my home office floor with all my Legion comics surrounding me. And I would sit there and index them until late at night. And then I would go to bed and I'd get up the next morning and do the same thing. I did nothing because the, the deadline crunch on this thing was crazy. And I covered everything from Adventure 247 right up to whatever was current at the time, which I think was uh, the, the Baxter series issue 28, I think was the last one I actually covered in my index. Mm-hmm. And it was every appearance, every character, everything. There was nothing about the Legion I didn't know at that point. Wow. So I was very well equipped to then shift over and do who's who in the Legion and, uh, and actually go through a lot of those entries as well. Cause I know the characters so well. Sure. And, uh, and so, and from the, you know, this is doing that was my first official work on the Legion. And then some of the secret origins issues obviously had Legion connections because, you know, it's such a rich gold mine of characters. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the high spots, and actually I reread this story for the first time in a long time the other day is that one of the high spots in, in all of my secret origins career was doing the Legion of Substitute Heroes origin with Ty Templeton. Yes. Oh, oh yes. yeah. I love that one. That's a great story. And it's, and what makes it really good was that, I mean, Ty, I knew Ty before this and I'd worked with Ty a few, a few times and I knew he was a brilliant writer and cartoonist and illustrator and letterer and could do everything but the coloring. And I just said to him at Chicago convention, 1988, I said to him, all right, so I need a 19-page story uh, by such and such day, and it's the Legion of Substitute Heroes, and you're great for it, and so just send it to me when you're done, which is not the way it's done in comics. The way it's done in comics <laughs> is you get a script, and then you read the script, and then you send it off to an artist, and then you get the penciling back, and then you get the letters, and then you you know, you know, go through all the stages of production. But in Ty's case, I completely trusted Ty, and, and rightfully so, and so sure enough, on deadline, I open up the package, and I get you know all these lettered inked ready to... <sighs> press artboards and they're ready to go. And the story's great. I didn't have to touch it. I didn't have to touch a thing. I had to make one correction because he talks in somewhere late in the game. He talked, there's a caption about something about a 19 page story. And I realized that Ty had given me like two page 16s. So it was actually a 20 page story, although it was a budgeted for 19 pages. So <laughs> I had to do some fast talking to the other guy in the issue who was doing a 19 page story and get him down to 18. But uh, that's the I, my memory is that's the only thing I had to touch in that entire story and wow. and it's a it's a great story there was that that was really good the other highlight of Secret Origins during that time with the Legion stuff was the the dead Legionnaires issue that we did with Feral Lad and with Karate Kid and especially oh. with Chemical King that yes. Chemical King story is a oh. really good story that was Robert yeah, Moore Fleming and Chris Sprouse yeah and it was Chris Sprouse's first work for DC comics. And oh. I, Oh yeah. I was really proud. I found a few guys through secret origins that I'm very proud of being able to give them their first work at DC. So, no kidding. um, so, you know, there's a few of those. And then, so, so basically, you know, that kind of brings us up to, you know, Paul Levitt's run ending his run on the Legion and Karen Berger, I was working as, as her assistant at the time. And so, uh, the thought was, well, again, Mark knows Legion and more importantly, and this is, this is a very important thing about the, this period of time that is often forgotten, which is that at that time, this is 1988, remember Keith, had, Keith Giffen had launched the Justice League franchise with Mark Dennis and Kevin McGuire, but I mean, he had he'd pretty much been the mastermind behind the Justice League franchise, the Justice League Europe franchise, all yeah. that stuff. 
And so Keith was the single most valued and, you know, and, and, and powerful freelancer at DC Comics. And rightfully mm-hmm. so. I mean, Keith's a genius. So, mm-hmm. but basically he, you know, he had his ideas of what he wanted to do with Legion and the marching orders I was given by my bosses were, were let Keith do whatever he wants. And, <laughs> and that we had its pluses and minuses. The, the, you know, the upside is that we got some really interesting books out of it. The, you know, the downside is it wasn't quite as structured as it maybe it might've been. And I, as a young editor, I wasn't really as adept as I might've been about sort of trying to get a little bit more structure out of Keith because mm-hmm. the sto- because the first five or so issues of the, of the reboot were really interesting and very much ahead of their time, but they're very, 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 dense comics and they're not very reader they're not very new reader friendly <laughs> to say the least and I, I yeah my, my regret as an editor is i didn't sit on him more and get him to be a little more, more reader friendly at the same time they were you know I, he was keith giffen at that point i was just this this guy in the editorial office so mm-hmm. this kid mm-hmm. in the editorial office so you know that that launched and it didn't do as well as people in the office had hoped but it, I thought it was a really interesting looking book and I thought it was a really interesting read. And I'd given Tom and Mary Bierbaum, uh, you know, the go ahead to, to, to do the scripting over Keith and that turned mm-hmm. out well. And, and then there you go. Well, you're, you're certainly right when you say about it being pretty groundbreaking for the time. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was something we'd see, you know, we'd seen only a few years before things like Watchmen and things like, uh, like Dark Knight Returns. And then to see this in a, in a book like Legion, um, you know, it was it was it, those those stories were always kind of outside of continuity, and to to see this sort of come in and to to take such a, a bold move with, uh, with 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 you know taking going from what Paul had done into this and and it, you know it really sort of brought a lot of those those devices and a lot of a lot of those sort of storytelling textures into into the mainstream in a way that that you know it was it was it was just, it was just every issue was a real surprise. Yeah, and we did we did some serious. I mean, we I say we they you know they did all the heavy lifting, doing all the, the really groundbreaking stuff. Um, it was there were there were curses along the way, and there were there were things that kept getting in our way, and things that that kept that we kept stumbling over. That was almost like fate was trying to warn us not to not to go in this direction. Um, the the one the two that I remember most distinctly are we had done. Uh, something that we had rarely done at DC at that point is a promotional av- device where Paul Levitz had authorized us to do a, like a four page, uh, a four page advertisement on car on, on cover stock. That was just a flyer that was handed out to comic stores across the nation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if even you guys have even seen that thing. I don't, I don't, hmm. I don't recall. I don't, I don't think I had actually. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a Keith did, you know, like a, it's a black and white little four page flyer and the outside of the first, the first page is the first cover is just the original three members standing there, you know, grinning and mugging for the camera. And then you open it up to a two page spread of the, the Keith did of the Legion headquarters sort of destroyed and, and in rubble as hmm. it, as it was in, in the five years later series. And then the back page was a little, Hey, here's what, you know, here's, here's what we're doing and here's when it's on sale and so forth. It's kind of hard to explain over the phone, but but just if you can envision this, yeah, that was a really good flyer. The problem is that at the binders or at the printers, for whatever reason, 
they folded them inside out. Oh, no. And so instead, <laughs> the front of it was half of a destructive, you know, a half of a sort of demolished, uh, rubble strewn, black and white <laughs> illustration that had no context and made no sense whatsoever. And so people just ignored it. They didn't, they didn't even bother to pick it up off the, off the counters. It, it, it just looked like, I don't know. I, it, it looked like nothing. It was terrible. Mm. So, so thanks guys. Um, the other big disaster, <laughs> the other big disaster that, sh- that caused the book to ship a, la- a week late was we had done something that we've done a million times before or whether we've done a million times since then, but we had never done before, which is that we printed a special fifth color on the cover. We did the logo and the Legion flight ring on the, on that first cover in gold, oh. in gold ink. If you go back and look, mm-hmm. I think it's in gold. I think the printed one is in gold ink. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Um, but the oh God, and it was a Friday afternoon. The, the proofs came in from the printer because the book was going to be in stores the next week. And we got the cover in and I completely panicked because the way that it works with printing on like a special colored ink, like gold or silver or something like that, the way it has to work for the printer is that you've got to put that color down first and then put black line on top of it rather than print it after the fact, if that makes any sense. Because otherwise right, yeah. it bleeds <clears throat> and it runs and it kind of, and it obfuscates whatever it is that's going to be printed, you know, whatever's supposed to be the actual illustration. So they didn't know that yet. We hadn't figured this out yet because the first time we'd done it and I get these covers in and there's, the, the logo looks like crap because the, the gold was printed last and so it was bleeding everywhere and it didn't have like the, the black lines bounding it. And worse, that flight ring in the lower left-hand corner was just a blob of gold. It didn't <laughs> look like a flight ring. It didn't look like anything. It's just a blob of gold. Uh, Great. Mm. So, you know, we had to pulp the whole run of covers. We had to uh, go back to press the next week. It was, you know, the book was a week late coming out. And again, in retrospect, oh, man, it's, again, it's like the universe is just sending us big, giant signals going, no, don't go here. Don't do this. But, you know, we did, and it wasn't the sales sensation that I think we hoped it would be. It didn't, you know, it seemed to confuse a lot of people, but I'm glad that he took those chances. I think that, you know, fortune favors the bold. And I think that, uh-huh. I think that one of the things that has always been a hallmark of Keith's career is, is that he is courageous and he's willing to, to take storytelling chances that most people aren't. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And in this case, I'm not sure it really worked, but you know, the Legion seems to have survived. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're 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 here doing a show for for. We've been doing this show for two years now. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, You know, the the, uh, the 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 Legion fans are still around. Yeah. <laughs> um, now you you uh, as you said you you came off uh, staff and went into the freelance gig, and um, now was was there was there always a hope to get into into writing the Legion beyond? I, that I kind of. I mean, it was one of those books that I never really envisioned myself writing because a I love the character so much that and I love what Paul had done for so long that I was very intimidated by it mm-hmm. and and b there are certain books and Legion was one of them where honestly it's it's almost more fun to to read it than it is to write it because the downside to writing a book like that is that suddenly you're the last person in the world who gets to pick up a legion comic at random and be surprised right mm. you know you 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 the gain is you get to be the legion writer but the the loss is you don't get to be a legion fan anymore 
And I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. I'd done Valor up to that point. I'd, I'd come in on Valor after the mm-hmm. first few issues and had sort of ridden that out towards the, the zero-hour years. Mm. And as we get closer to that, editor Casey Carlson and I and the other, you know, and uh, Tom McCraw, who was the other writer slash colorist on the book, you know, we used to spend a lot of time socially together and we would sit down and try to figure this out. And we were coming up on zero hour and, you know, the edict was do something to streamline the characters, do something to streamline the muddled history of the Legion, because by that time, you know, the, John Byrne had played, had played a Superman card and suddenly there was no Superboy and the whole foundation of the mm. Legion was was shoddy and hard to shore up and suddenly there was no Supergirl either. And and I know as an editor, this is a problem I had even going into it, is that mm-hmm. with each passing week, uh, somebody from some editorial department in D.C., now that Paul was no longer running the Legion and it was no longer sort of exempt from, temp- from uh, tampering because <laughs> nobody wanted to mess with Paul. But once Paul was gone, people would come down the hall and go, oh, you know that Green Lantern connection that you have in the Legion? Well, you can't do that anymore because we, we're the Green Lantern office and we say no. Or, you know, every once in a while you got a Hawkman connection. Well, you can't do that anymore. And so very, in a very quick, you know, in a very short period of time, like one of the hallmarks of Legion, which is being able to, to play with some of the future of, this, uh, of the DC universe, all those, like the, all those tools were taken away from us. And it was... It really, there was just no way to fix it. We spent, and I've said this a thousand times, I mean it from the bottom of my heart, we spent dozens and dozens and hundreds of man hours over beers and in, 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 you know, in, in the basement of Tom's home and the, at restaurants, at, you know, wherever, desperately trying to come up with some easy, you know, very continuity-friendly, uh, very streamlined way to get from where we were to where we needed to be without having to just burn everything down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, we, ju- we just couldn't find it. I mean, there was just every time we thought we had something, that there'd be something else in the DC universe that was, that was a problem for it or some other editor would not let us use this or that. And, and it really just, it wasn't a matter of ego. Like nobody wanted to jettison the Legion history. I, I wanted to jettison the Legion history least of all because I'm the guy who'd spent, you know, an entire lifetime boning up on it. So <laughs> I didn't, but, but essentially, you know, the edict was okay. Give it, you know, give it a jump start. If this, let's just go ahead and, and wrap up and write our last Legion story and send them off into that good night with a salute and then start again with zero hour. And we did that. I'm, we had mixed results. Um, some of the stuff I think we did, I like the other, like the white, the white triangle and, and the Laurel Gann stuff, I think in particular was really good. Mm-hmm. I think that we kind of, kind of made some false steps early on in that we were trying too hard to, to sort of faithfully recreate what had happened before. And, and what that sort of gave us was stories that where we were basically trying to very quickly, it just sort of became like, oh, well, you've read these stories before, but now it's a different cast. But look, it's really the same guys. Right. And then it just kind of felt very retro at that point. And it, it felt very much like, well, we've seen these stories before. Oh, look, it's Starfinger. We've seen Starfinger before. Oh, look, it's, who is it? it's, it's a Starfinger story, except this time he's not Lightning Lad. This time he's somebody else. But other than that, it's the same story. You know, a lot of that, so that became sort of the you know, the symbol of the, of the, of the Legion run. And so 
um, you know, so I kind of, I left the, I left Legion at that point to go do other things. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that the guys who were, who ran it after that did as, as good a job as they possibly could. I just think that it still was on shaky ground and there were all, again, there were all sort of feeling at the, within the DC offices that maybe the Legion should be more part of the 20th century, but maybe they shouldn't be part of the 20th century, but we don't know what to do with them. And, hmm. and it was the zero hour didn't give us the jump start we wanted because we, if you'll notice, I mean, not only did we not get a new number one out of it, but we didn't even get a new logo out of it. Yes. So yeah, right. yeah there was no way to know that, the next month, this was a completely brand new book and a completely brand new jumping on point. If you were a new reader, there was no way for, for us to send that signal. I mean, we put out word in the fan press and so yeah. forth, but it wasn't, it wasn't like it is today. It wasn't like, you know, that it wasn't, it, the proof was not in the books. Right. Right. And, and retailers ordered it like they'd been ordering Legion rather than as, as a new series. And so uh-huh. we kind of, that didn't really help our case either. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a really interesting <laughs> point, you know, because that is, you know, you know, that's the way things are now. Is it's like it's a it's a change in direction. Get a new number one out, and yeah. um, and and you know that that seems to be more the tendency these days. But uh, but I guess it just shows what a different time it was. Uh, yeah, it's just it's you know it, it, people you know it's exactly it's just funny. It's just that at that time it was no 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 we want to you know I don't I don't you know actually I don't even know I mean I was going to presumptuously guess. But I don't even know what was what the thinking was on the publishing end at that point where we didn't get a new number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea. So let's just, you know, that's what it was. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we made our we made our best out of it. We did, you know, anything we did some good work, especially in that first year. Mm. So, Definitely. and and that was you know that was my connection to Legion for a long time. And then I, and it, you know, so where so where are we now? You you got the questions in front of you. Where are we now in the grand? <laughs> I, I was just thinking that back then ha- the Hawkman offices should have been happy to get any help they could have gotten. Yeah, so. no kidding, no kidding. Jesus it was Christ. just you know talk about a continuity snafu from Hades. God, it was just a constant mess of stuff. It was you know oh you can't you oh you got to change Kent Shakespeare's name because he can't be Kent Shakespeare, but he can't be the descendant of Clark Kent, but he can be the descendant of Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> I'm like, who cares if he's a Olson? Who the hell cares? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was like the whole the whole Devlin Orion bit where he worked at, worked for the Daily Planet at first, and then oh, can't work for the Daily Planet, so it's got to be the uh, Universal Press, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was con- it was that constant sort of mucking around and and really taking away one of the fundamental fun things about the Legion, which is that it it always had some interesting. You know, connections to the 20th century. Well, you know, again, and, and Brainiac Five. Suddenly, Brainiac Five can't be the descendant of Brainiac exactly. He's got to be some other Kaluan with a Brainiac name, and it's oh, uh, it's just it, I don't, you know. <laughs> don't, I'm pouring my drink now. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> and well, I don't. Sadly, I don't think I, I don't think the Legion has ever really recovered from that. Nor mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think it it ever is likely to recover from that sort of crippling. Oh, continuity changes every couple of years for a while. I don't think that it's ever going to recover from that. So it, it, it's it's what it's makes what people, people sort of fear people. diving into it. Yeah, and and that's uh, that's definitely been a problem. Sort of a, a, a an albatross around its neck for a, for a while is is the idea that people are just like, yeah, but don't they reboot all the time? I I don't get it. Yeah, and and, the, and, the, and the, you know the sad thing is too, and this is also I find very frustrating. We've only rebooted Legion continuity twice. That's really that's yeah. well actually three times now that you count 
I'm sorry, as I guess as of me and Barry Kitson coming on, that was the second time. And we used to hear at that time, like, you know, you're rebooting Legion continuity again. And I was like, it's been, <laughs> it's been 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you know, you make it sound like we're doing it all the time. Right, right. (laughs) Well, and and for example, I mean, let's face it, the, uh, you know, I mean, some people will count the, uh, you know, the, 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 the real, the original continuity punch. Uh, right. from Monel, yeah. uh, but but even that that was more of a soft boot because it, it said, "Hey, everything still happened. It's just kind of different." Yeah, and five years later was a soft boot as well. Yeah, so, yeah. But mm. you know, so what? So what? You know, basically, I think you're right though. That's kind of what drove people away from the Legion. And and you know, the other thing that is forgotten very easily for some reason is that you know when Abnett and Landing came out and did their big Legion relaunch with the Legion Number One, which is a really good read with you know art by Oliver. Corporal and it looked, you know, it looked really good. Oliver, whatever his name, well, I'm for Olivier Corporal, what <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. Thank you. Um, with you know, that got a huge push. It got a huge push in Wizard magazine. It got a huge push with publicity. It got a huge push in the fan press. I mean, it got more publicity than any Legion project ever before. Mm-hmm. And it still sold like crap. And it wasn't their fault. Guys are doing their great, their best job. They're doing the best job they possibly yeah. could. But by that time, the albatross around the Legion's neck, for for true or false, for whether it was fair or not, was that Legion is an impenetrable book that is unfriendly to new readers. Now, I don't think that's true of the Advent Landing run. I don't think that's true of a lot of the runs. But it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is that fans at large and retailers at large believe that to be the case, and they ordered the yeah. books you know, commensurate with that. So, yeah. 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 So that Abnett landing stuff, that was the best stuff that had come out of the Legion in a couple of years. I agree. I, I totally agree. I thought they had a really good handle on it. I thought they did a really nice job and, and it again, but it didn't, at that point, it just didn't matter. We'd done so much damage to Legion continuity that no one was listening when we said, mm. look, it's, it's all, you don't have to have, you don't have to have a PhD in Legion history to get it. <laughs> mm. Because you're so, the only guy that had it at that point. Exactly. I'm the only guy who's got it. Exactly. So stay away. So, <laughs> so, you know, that brings us to, you know, that brings us to me and Barry Kitson coming aboard in, yes. you know, in 2004, was it? Yeah. Yep. 2003, 2004. And doing really only the second hard reboot in the Legion history. And the feeling there was, the, the feeling at DC was, look, you know, no matter what we do with this book, people just stay away in droves because they fear they have to have, you know, years and years of reading and they have to have charts and graphs and stuff. <laughs> and so we said, okay, well, let's, let's pretend like you never, like the book never existed before. Like we were launching it the same way that Julie Schwartz relaunched books in the ni- in the 1950s mm-hmm. that, were, that created the silver age in the sense that, you know, let's relaunch it the same way Julia relaunched Flash, which is you keep the things that you like, you throw away the stuff that you, that doesn't work as well in, in the current market, and you make a brand new fresh start of it. And that was the goal. And, you know, people, a lot of Legion fans hated what we did. Um, a lot of people who were not Legion fans loved what we did. Um, and it did really well at first. In fact, the sales went up between issues two and three, which never happens. Mm-hmm. And we started to get some momentum and we're doing pretty good. And, you know, I, you know, it's, we're, we're kind of feeling like we got a foothold in this and we, 
we're carving out our little place in, in DC history with a brand new revised post infinite crisis continuity or whatever it was. And, and then, and then <laughs> pick up something called the lightning saga in the justice league books. And what the hell is this? This is a bunch of legionnaires that aren't our legionnaires. What's going on here? And why is Talos here? And, why are these characters? These are not our you know, and so and so. I'm suddenly baffled because if we're trying desperately to tell people that Legion continuity is fixed forever and it's you know and it's streamlined and it's all of a piece and and then we go do this immediately. What the hell? So, so I went in about this and I asked about this and we were told, oh well, you know, we pro- Brad Meltzer decided that's what he wanted to do and he didn't know about what you were going to do and so we're sorry, but we're letting both things happen at once and. I don't know. Kind of at that point, I remember like this sort of wet snap in my brain that just made me go, wow, this is, this is broken and we're never going to fix it. So Barry and I limped along for another, another year and a half or so, two couple of years. Uh, and did a, I think again, did a pretty good job. I liked putting Supergirl in the book. I mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I like a lot of the stuff we did, but I, especially in the back half of our run, we could sort of, you know, we were having a good time. We were trying our best, but we were all, we were really hampered by the feeling that we were, we were not really considered a real Legion book by mm-hmm. even by DC editorial, much less the fans. Right. So at that point, well, if we're just doing fan fiction, then why are we here? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then sure enough, without you know, we were we weren't gone a year before they just paved <laughs> over everything all together and just said, oh, that that's the other lead, that's the Earth Two Legion. Uh, let them go. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I mean, again, I'm, that's look, people make decisions like that all the time, and I'm not second guessing that decision. I'm just saying I'm disappointed that. You know, again, if the message we're trying to send is Legion is now reader friendly for the first time in forever, yeah, then we undermine that message within the first six months. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so just looking on on the positive side of what you guys were doing, because there was a lot of really great stuff that you guys were were, were doing. Thank that, you. That you never yeah. you never really we we actually uh, had the pleasure of talking to to Barry when he was up in in Toronto uh, this summer and. Um, you know, it, it it was it was it was great talking to him about the boat because you know he, he echoed your frustrations uh, with with uh, the way things happen. But he, you know, it, it was just he seemed really, you know, when as he was talking about it, he was just so excited talking about all the all the different ideas that you guys had. And it was there were there were a couple of times where uh, we were we were just we were actually waiting to get some <laughs> some books signed. And uh, and uh, and he was doing a couple of sketches for a couple of guys in front of us, and he would just start talking about oh, and the reason for this was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and, and we're like, you know, it's been it's been like, you know, what, like th- four or five years since he's been yeah. on the book and, and he's still excited about it. Yeah, that's just it. I mean, he and I both love the Legion, too. I mean, Barry loves the Legion almost as much as I do. I mean, we were yeah. both huge fans of it and that helped a lot, too. I mean, we just and Barry's also a writer. I mean, he's you know, it's forgotten often because he spends most of his time drawing, but he's also right. a very good writer on it in his own right. And Absolutely. so it was a lot of fun just knocking ideas back and forth with Barry and trying to extrapolate how these powers would really work, how this world would really work. I, I remember distinctly, you know, one of my, one of the best memories I have of that whole run is, is doing this. Is, I think it's issue three was the triple girl issue, right? Yes. Or was it issue two? Yeah. Oh, three. Uh, it was three. It yeah. Should, as it should be with Triple Girl, and it was exactly <laughs> as I, God intended. <laughs> and I'm very happy with the way that story turned out because it really, when I was taking a hard line look at the Legion powers, 
a lot of them made sense from an uh, evolutionary standpoint. I understand mm-hmm. why you would be a race that would evolve magnetism as a superpower. I understand why you would be a race that would evolve, uh, you know, shrinking as a superpower under the right circumstances. I really couldn't wrap my brain around why in the world being able to triplicate would be an evolutionary power. <laughs> like what, like that, <laughs> what, what purpose does that serve on the evolutionary curve? Right. And so answering that question and, and sort of coming up with answers for that or coming up with new takes on dream girls powers and, and mm. new take, basically looking at all their powers and saying, okay, how do we, how do we take that to a new extreme? How do we, how do we really dig in and show you things about those powers that you've never really considered before? That was really, that was the blast of working on that book. And, yeah. you know, and Barry was always, you know, good for a good hour long or a couple of hours, every Sunday conversation where we just sit around and just chew the fat about Legion. So mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Nice. We highly, we highly recommend people do that. That exactly yeah. that on Sundays sit around. Yeah. And, I could call and... Barry and chat about the Legion. <laughs> I, I, I salute it. <laughs> but now, I mean, I mean, again, you were you were kind of you you were kind of breaking ground with the with the getting deeper into into the powers and and the world. I mean, it, this was this was very different from, uh, you know, if you look at the sort of this the beginnings of this legion, it was very yeah. different from uh, what we had seen before. Uh, you know, it, it, as opposed to the bright shiny future where everyone loves the legion and uh, and is is happy to see them put together. That that wasn't necessarily the case for a lot of people in in uh, in, in this legion's world. No, I was I thought that was if I do see so myself and I want to say that to be fair, I think this was actually my, my friend Tom Pyre's idea more than it was mine. But the idea that the Legion was not a group of 25 kids, that the Legion is a movement, that the Legion is a social change across the, the galaxy and anyone could be a Legionnaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you believed in Legion core values and you were young, I thought that was a really great, strong idea. Yeah, And it really enforced what to my mind the legion had had always in part been about which is about the 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 friction between uh, you know generations between the the, to some degree the friction between the young and the old um and i thought that was a really uh, i i can say it was a master stroke because it wasn't actually my nugget of an idea although we followed through on it so right it was i thought that was a really good stroke i thought that you know i thought that some of the takes on the characters were were a little different and a little new and uh and there's again there's all kind of stuff that you never got to see like again i you know you never got to see our origin of the team which we had which we'd come up with um which had i'm trying to remember the exact details and maybe very late into some of this with you guys but it had a lot to do with the fact that that building (laughs) that was their headquarters was actually was actually a jail before the legion got to it it was but it would it pre-existed the legion and it was it was a uh, a penitentiary, and the legion had freed the, the three core members had freed themselves from it, and now they were. I'm trying to remember the exact details. I can't, but that's you know, Barry will have a better memory for it than I did. But essentially, it was that the legion helps lead a revolution right there on the spot between the young and the old, and it's a, and it's a one in which we can fully believe in what the kids were believing in. In other words, they weren't the bad guys in that scenario, right? And so the building itself was a symbol of that first Legion triumph for the first, the first real victory they had against the, the forces of the establishment. Wow. 
Yeah, again, it's you know, it, it, and and as as and, and Barry did tell us that that very story, and uh, as as one of the bits, and and, mm. and I remember we we were driving home from the show, and Scott and I are just like, man, that book would have been so awesome if they'd been able to continue. I know, I, <laughs> I, you know, and I, I would have, but but once, but you know, once Barry decided, you know, I mean, Barry had done it for not only Barry, remember, not only had Barry done it for thirty issues, but Barry had also been doing before then. He'd been doing Legion ninety three and Legion right, ninety four, yeah. although. So Barry, I, you know, when I say Barry decided it was time to move on, that is no reflection on Barry. Barry had more than, you know, done his tour of duty in the in in Legionville. I mean, he he he'd done a ton of Legion stuff over the years, so he deserved a break. But uh-huh. once he decided it was time to go, I thought, well, there's no point in sticking on without Barry here because it's. I mean, I'd done a few fill-in issues without Barry as the artist, but he was always still there in spirit. And right. and once he decided to move on, I thought, well, it's you know, it's, it's best for us to both sort of move on from here. Mm-hmm. So that you know, so that they can pave over what we're doing quicker. <laughs> well, and <laughs> yikes! Uh, but but it's, it, I mean, it does sound like you guys had a real collaborative process going into this. It wasn't yeah. just a, I'm going to hand you scripts, draw them. You know, no, I mean? no, no. I just I can't. There's no you know, there's no point in working with Barry like that because Barry has so many good ideas on his own, and you know, Frank and I've always said I need Barry more than Barry needs me. Uh, <laughs> so no, it was, and that's part of the fun of it too. I mean, especially when you've got so many characters involved yeah. that everybody has some favorites. I mean, I, I, he liked Ultra Boy more than I did. He liked Star Boy more than I did. I liked Dream Girl more than he did. I liked Chameleon more than he did. It was sort of that back and forth. So that way, you know, we both have our, we didn't have any characters we didn't like, but we both had our back and forth of, you know, the, and the, making sure that the ones we did like, you know, got fair, fair play and fair treatment. Right. So, so speaking again a, a bit about process, you've said in the past that the um, the Mordrew story is is, yeah. a blue, is a is a real blueprint for everything you write. And it, it, what what is it about the, that story that that sort of leads you to say something like that? There's a few things. I, it's funny because I didn't realize that until years and years and years later when I went back and reread it for the first time in a while. I guess you know about ten years ago, and I and I reread it, and I thought, you know, man, that's just that's me all over. It's it's there are two things. First off, it's it's you're getting you're getting a look at the characters in a slightly different view than you normally do because remember they're in the 20th century and they're in they're adopting different identities and and you're and it's very emotional. It's very much about like a large part of that is about Duo Damsel's tragic you know doomed crush on Superboy when she knows that Superboy will grow up to to marry somebody else, not yes. her. But Shooter Jim Shooter rang a lot of emotion out of that. There's still, and, and the fear that Superboy and, and Monel show in the face of Mordrew, I mean, that's why to this day Mordrew is one of my favorite villains because when I was six and I read that story, it was the, one of the first times I'd ever come across Superman being afraid of something. And if Superman is afraid of him and I'm six years old, then it means that he must be really awful, you know. So, so the, the fear, the, the tension that, that ratcheted up, the, the, the emotion, which was a fairly new thing in DC at that time, because DC Comics the 60s were very plot-heavy and not very emotional-driven. Those were huge parts of the blueprint. The other big part of the blueprint, uh, structurally, and, and something that I find myself still doing to this day, is uh, the structure of that story is, oh, God, here's more Drew. And then we get off on this <laughs> tangent where we go to the 20th century, and then we go deal with this other problem that we're dealing with in the 20th century with gangsters yes. and this and this and this. 
and you get to the next to the last page and everybody's sort of sitting around going, well, whew, I'm glad we solved that problem. M- you know, meaning that the characters and the readers have completely forgotten about the problem on page one. <laughs> and then suddenly you turn the page and boom, there's your cliffhanger. Cause Oh crap. There's the, cl- there's the thing from earlier in the issue that we've forgotten about, which is the big cliffhanger. So yeah, I think if you look at my, I didn't realize this, but I think if you look at a lot of my work, I think you see that same structure over and over again, where we think everything's really cool on page 21 and all the problems are solved. And then on page 22, suddenly it's that thing you forgot about. <laughs> Absolutely. Hmm. I hate when that happens in real life. Though. I know, I know. <laughs> so that's, you know, but I was so, so that's, you know, man, just on a structural level that, that, you know, that, that clearly made an impression on me when I was a kid. So. Yeah. So now, <laughs> Process wise, you know, looking at that as, as, as the blueprint, you know, when, when, when you set out to, uh, to write an arc or, or, or a particular story, what, what, what is, is it a process that you sort of have, like, like you have your sort of same rituals, uh, with, with writing or do you do something different depending on, on the title? A lot of time with Legion, it was very different in the sense that, I mean, with each title, it's a, if it's a solo character, it's obviously easier because you can sort of map out what that character's life is going to be in the next few months. But with the, a book as large as the Legion, and you've got you know, 18, 19 players, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure everybody gets a fair amount of space and stuff, then really the, the process would be very much that I would sit down with, literally with like all 19 of them in front of me. I'd make up little, little trading cards or something or a little, little hero clicks figures or something. Like it's some visual in front of me where I could say, okay, I've used this guy and this guy and this guy, and I've already done like a dream girl story, and I've done a very heavy triplicate girl story, and I've done some stuff with Karate Kid. So who have we not touched yet? Yeah. Like who have we not done yet? And then the next step of that would often be which two characters or which three characters should we throw together in a story because they're different from each other enough where that creates some sort of dynamic tension, and it's some sort of pairing that we haven't seen before. Right. And so that's where a lot of that would come from as well. We'd sort of just juggle around and go, okay, we haven't done anything interesting with, uh, with, you know, with, with uh, Colossal Boy or Micro Lad, as again, I'm yes. so fond of calling him. <laughs> and and Star Boy, what do we do with them? And and so a lot of a lot of the stuff we just you know spill out from there. It's really when you've got 19 characters or whatever it was, there's. The challenge is not coming up with stories. The challenge is trying to trying to figure out which of the 19 stories you're going to tell that month because it's, there's just so much to put in the issue. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, sorry, go ahead, Matt. I was going to say, if, were there any uh, specific things with any specific characters that you had really wanted to do during that run? Just never that we didn't get a chance to. to. I, I, other than the big origin story, which again I'm really regretful that we never got around to. Um, nothing. I'm trying to think. Nothing leaps immediately to mind. We got coverage on most legionnaires I wanted to cover. We didn't do much with Timberwolf, but that was partly because I was never a huge Timberwolf fan. Um, I'm, I am, I'm, gentlemen. I'm, I'm ashamed to say I'm, I'm of a generation where I still consider. Chemical King and Timberwolf, the new guys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, 
I can't honestly. I mean, I wish I, I wish I had a bunch of different anecdotes and a bunch of amazing anecdotes about the other lost legion stories you never saw. But really, the only one was was what we were going to do with Cosmic Boy. The idea that Cosmic Boy goes off to the forty first century to join a group of heroes. I that was Steve, <laughs> that was editor Steve Wacker's idea, and it was my favorite idea he ever came up with. The idea that they that forty first century legionnaires come to the come a thousand years in the past to recruit Cosmic Boy. So I would love to have done more with those 41st century characters. I would love to have spent a little bit more time with Cosmic Boy in the 41st century. learning. So, so, you, yeah. so Mark, you know where he is then, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, exactly. Yes, I, exactly. I know where that Cosmic Boy is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just making sure because, yep. you know, Dawn, Star, and Shikari can't find him. So. But I know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, gentlemen, I've got a, I've got a, we got a couple more minutes. If you got any few, any, I'm afraid I got to wrap up fairly soon. But if you got a, a couple other questions, real quick, we can hit them. Absolutely, I, go ahead, Scott. I have a quick one. We have a small but very vocal uh, contingent in our in our audience that really is interested in the Brainiac Five Supergirl relationship, right? And uh, a lot of the talk lately has has stemmed from about um, the Kingdom Come, the Brainiac's daughter. Oh, right. Yes. Do you have any insight on, on Brainiac's daughter other than what we've written in the uh, the Revelations book here? No, actually, I don't. That was actually that was a pure Alex Ross moment. That was just hmm. him wanting to him having a cool idea and a cool design, and and working it into the book. And I thought that was neat. And that that is an Alex Ross question, but it's a good one. Dang, I guess we'll get Alex go. Ross on here. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Val. I'll say that. Guess. Come on. So, so Mark, um, one of the other things you've talked about the whole streamlining of of characters, and one of the really uh, uh, among the many, many very cool things that you've done over the years, uh, one that the the just takes a particular uh, skill that uh, that you may be the only person who has is that just the the boiling down origins into two pages. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, how, how do you go about that? Like, how did you, how did you, you know, get some of these, uh, these origins down to just those, those little two page stories that basically told you everything you needed to know, man, if it looks, if it looks easy, then I am doing my job. Cause it was deceptively hard. It was, it was re I, I bit off more than I could chew. Cause what happened with that? We're talking about the, the two pages that started in the back of 52. That's right. Yeah. And what happened there was that, uh, Dan DiDio originally said, well, let's do text features back there. We'll do text origins and who's who pages. And, and I was the one, I was the wise ass who stood up and said, well, that doesn't seem like a good idea to me because that made sense in 1986. But now that Wikipedia exists, that we're not giving them anything they can't get on the web for free. Why don't we do it? Why don't we do what we do best, which is comics, and do a two-page origin that's in comic book form that, that encapsulates everything about the characters. And they said, well, that, mm. sure, that sounds good. And they let me off to, to run away and figure out which characters to do <laughs> and, and how to structure it. And it seemed like a good idea at the time. And then you sit down with the bigger characters and you try to cram that into two pages. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, but really, but, but the joy of it is really paring the character down to its essence. And the most important thing, and I think this is something that I think is in every in every one of those two-page origins that is very easily overlooked and is the kind of thing that you don't necessarily think to put in a who's who page. And that is why they do what they do. Yeah. It's not enough to say, here's the origin and here's the powers, but I also wanted to make sure that you understood what motivated them. Yes. And 
I'm not lying when I said that's some of the hardest writing I've ever had to do. There would be hmm. times it would take me an entire day to do a two-page origin because you're just trying to get it down to the the absolute bare minimum streamlined concept of the character. And I, the fact that I was able to do it for you know most of 52 weeks, I'm pretty proud of. Absolutely. No, it was it was it was re- it was really really amazing work. And speaking of some amazing work, because we, uh, you know, I'd be remiss in in letting you go without mentioning some of the stuff that you're you're working on now. Um, now that you're uh, the editor in chief over at Boom Studios, um, and and congratulations on, on the on the Eisner nom. You guys were robbed, I'm sure. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, for, we're robbed. We're robbed from the Harveys and, and the Eisners. Ah, it's okay. Now you know it's, it's an honor just to be nominated, and I, I say that sincerely. <laughs> no, I over mean, and it, over again as I cry myself to sleep, I say that sincerely. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> but but I mean, you know, and and uh, you know, I I, re- I recently did a, a reread of, uh, of of Irredeemable and uh, and Incorruptible as well and both just fantastic books i mean it's you, you know it's it's just that that yeah. again it's that boiling down the essence of uh of, of the superhero and um you know it, it it they've been they've been really really incredibly entertaining reads and and just there's very thought provoking as well when you think of sort of what they what they say about the the overall superhero comic uh, genre well, thank you. I again, I and again, I'm I'm lucky, especially with Irredeemable, to be teamed up with Peter Krause, who was the artist and who was just hitting it out of the park every week. I mean, his his stuff is terrific. So, mm-hmm. um, I no, I I'm very happy with the way those books are, are working out. And then, uh, and I hope you guys will stay tuned for the Stan Lee launches that we're doing through Boom in October with uh, with Soldier Zero with Paul Cornell and me oh, with yeah. Traveler and uh, Chris Robinson with with Starborn that's October, November, December. I know, I know that's a plug. It's a blatant plug, but. Uh, and and, and <laughs> hey, by all means, you know, we, we, we know that there's a lot of people who are fans of the work that you did on Legion and, uh, and, and maybe they, they, you know, not, not everyone is as, as, as deep into, uh, into, into following specific creators, but you know, if, if, if people have enjoyed what you, what you did with the Legion and what you've done uh, in your many years with DC comics, you're, you're doing some, some great stuff over at boom. And I think people really yeah. need to, to, to take well, notice you, of it. You. Well, on that note, I need to run. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mark. It's much appreciated. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a great night. Mm-hmm. Right. You too. Thanks. Cheers. So there you have it. Three guys who know what they're talking about when it comes to rebooting the Legion. And uh, it's kind of nice to play some interviews because, you know, we don't get to do as many of those anymore, mainly because uh, some companies are really fussy about letting their people talk to podcasters. Not mentioning any names, though. DC. Anyway, so uh, so that's uh, like I say, it's uh, three guys who know what they're talking about when it comes to it. So hope you've enjoyed uh, this little trip down memory lane, and uh, and for those who had heard these interviews separately, it's kind of nice, especially the, uh, the the Kitson and Wade interviews. It's nice to hear them together um, because uh, you know there there are elements that, that kind of play off uh, each other there. So very neat. Uh, anyway, that's listen to me all self-congratulatory. Wow, we're really good interviewers. Yeah. Anyway, I hope you all enjoyed that. So comments, as always, are welcome to uh, Legion of Substitute Podcasters at gmail.com. You can join in the conversation on our Facebook page, which can be found at facebook.legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com. We are on the Twitter. We are LOSP Podcast. And in addition to all these things, you can head over to our website, legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com, and you can leave a comment on this or any episode. And with that, we make our way back into the time bubble, and we will see you all next week. 